0: Welcome to Cart, a podcast about coffee and related topics. This show is sponsored by Well You. As a nonprofit, we rely heavily on our community for ongoing support. You can be a contributor by going to patreon.com forward slash 901 Coffee. On Patreon, you will find early access to content such as the podcast, YouTube videos, exclusive Patreon-only videos, as well as ongoing updates from the Sustained team. If you enjoy the show and enjoy what we're doing, it would be greatly appreciated for you to support us in this way. But if you don't have the extra cash to throw our that's okay. We are encouraged that you are listening to this right now. For other free resources, you can visit us at 901sustainedcoffee.com. Also, feel free to reach out if you ever have any questions or concerns at 901sustainedcoffee on Instagram or by email at 901sustainedcoffee at gmail.com. Now, on to the show. Season 7, Episode 1, The State of the Coffee Industry as We Perceive It. So this is going to be a episode with Dante Baker. What's up, Dante? Oh, uh, What's up, y'all? It's been a minute since the two of us sat down and recorded a podcast episode together, so we're going to chat it up today. We're going to start the show in classic form with what you're drinking. So what are we drinking tonight, Dante?
1: What are we drinking? It's a uh, Guatemala from our boy Ravenous Roasters.
0: That's right. This was one of the... Last coffees we were serving at our residency at Boycott Coffee. Served it for two weeks, and the coffee that we have here is a Las Rosas. It's a naturally processed H1 Centro Americano, is a cultivar. And I'll read a bit about the tasting notes or the farm notes and then go into our brewing parameters. 100 plus years ago, Don Ballantine started planting coffee at Finca Las Rosas. Later, Don Elfrian took command of the plantations. After him, Don Victor Ventoro, with his wife, and since 1986, their son took over the magical treasure. Since the leadership of the Farm of the Sun, he decided to direct the projects to participate in SEA, and since then, the family has dedicated all of its efforts to obtain high quality coffees and exotic varieties. If you ever visit the farm, you'll be amazed by the garden gems that you'll discover. So, this coffee has been really interesting. I haven't brewed it as much as we have maybe ran the gamut with some of his other coffees but the way that i brewed it tonight for us was a zach jennings recipe which we use the clever his recipe uses the clever but we use the v60 switch and i kind of did something a little bit unhinged Did yeah, tell, tell him what you did so i this is again zach jennings takes full credit for this idea whenever he's brewing on clever he does what i would chalk up to be pouring the milk before the cereal where he puts the water in the dripper, then adds the coffee and stirs it in, and that's what I've done here. And I brewed it at one to thirteen, and then bypass with more water at the end of the brew for a ratio of about one to fifteen. And tell us what your thoughts were whenever you were you were trying it.
1: I packed a lot of like water elements at the first sip, but uh, as it kept as you kept sipping it, the coffee really shines more uh, on the back end. It's very weird,
0: but it's very good. Yeah, I don't really know. This is when we talk about anti-bloom, which is something we were doing a lot of. Hold
1: on, anti-bloom. <laughs>
0: like, there's no blooming at all. It's water, coffee, all the volume is touching all at the same time. And there's probably some science behind this. Of course, this we're not being scientific in today's brew. It was just more of a, let's see what happens. And it tastes really interesting.
1: Yeah, you'll see a video on that later.
0: Video of that, of that soon. Maybe we should get get Zach to, to phone in for, for that video. That's what we were drinking, and if you're interested in this coffee, you can hit up Ravenous or ourselves and get a bag for yourself to experiment around with. Now, on to the show. Today's episode is an idea that was spurred by Dante whenever he was kind of giving ideas, which was talking about the state of the coffee industry, and there's many angles that we could probably take on this. The way that I want to start off, though, is by talking about coffee processing methods, which if you listen to the past few episodes that are on the podcast feed, even down to the interview we did with Preston Yoder of Flower Child Coffee, we talked a lot about this, and I actually want to start with a Instagram post that I had shared from this person named Christopher Ferran. He's an independent coffee consultant. And this is what his response was. And I'm really interested to hear what all you think. So let us know. But here's what his post said. Quote, Terroir is one of those words that makes my brainstem hurt, like bespoke, edited, or bud tender. All reprehensible and terroir has really crawled out of his pot into things other than wine. Beer is the anti-torwar, and I like that about it. You can replace it in the same way, give or take, with the same inputs. It is engineered. Coffee has a lot of knobs to turn, but it feels closer to beer than wine. Wine is like pick and stem and crush and get out of the way. And beer is like, okay, if we ferment it a half a degree colder for one day, we can coax these fruit esters from the yeast and it dies more slowly. And that's good. And it's good because you can use this technique to make coffee taste delicious. Everyone wins. It is good that we have good wine and beer where we did not before because growers can make good wine instead of jug wine with the same grapes. And he (laughs) ends that comment with saying, I swear I have not been drinking. And that's, again, Christopher Ferron on Instagram. He's an independent coffee consultant. And the reason I thought this was pertinent to our conversation today was talking about I think terroir is something we talk about a lot. Cultivar is something we talk about a lot within the industry presently, and there's a lot of push for those roasters who are like on the extreme end of, you know, trying to push the envelope. And that's those are some of the most I think hot topics apart from hyper light roasting that sort of thing, which has been popular for years, but I think is g- gaining more traction and more notability. But what I would like to kind of gear our conversation is discussing what do we think about the whole experimental processing whenever, you know, Christopher uses this example of of that coffee is closer to beer than it is to wine, which I found quite interesting. I'm not sure that I agree with it 100%, but I do think it's an interesting observation. Do you have any thoughts based off that quote or anything? Uh, well, first
1: of all, I just want to say you are an
0: actual podcaster like you
1: did that with so much ease I, I i gotta stop and give him the flowers real quick he did that like he didn't read it and i'm like <laughs> i've I've only done a season i was reading my own stuff <laughs> lord <laughs> back to the topic i don't know I, I guess because coffee is like a fruit in a sense or it's like the insides of a fruit you could relate it to uh more of a beer because it's a because of how it's processed I think I would relate it close to wine be just because of like how how both of those processes kind of like implement each other, like weather, elevation uh, where from like if it's low elevation or high elevation, if it's seen the sun a lot, if it hasn't seen the sun at all, uh, those kind of play into a part of like how the coffee is when it's green. And then when it's roasted, it will kind of play over into like when it's made. I believe that's the same way for wine. On, in a sense, or in some like kind of similar pattern. I'm not really, a, I'm not a wine expert, so I could be wrong there. there. but because of that, for beer, I think it. I've always just. Listened, well, I'm not an expert on beer either, but I've always just assumed that like it, it's the same, either way. Like once it grows, it grows. It's beer. So for me, that's for me. That's the only like. That's the biggest takeaway I can get from it.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I I've never really just put the two you know, I've always thought of it as wine and coffee having so many parallels that overlap with one another and even tea production with with coffee as well. But in bringing the conversation of beer in terms of, I think it should be important to maybe understand we're talking about processing methods specifically. So with stuff like anaerobics, with stuff like yeast, koji fermentation, whenever you're adding these sorts of complex levels of fermentation, on top of already dynamic coffees, already excellent cultivars, you're kind of doing this thing in what Christopher is arguing where you're turning knobs, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to ferment for X amount of hours. I'm going to ferment for three days. I'm going to ferment for two days. I'm going to add this much koji and so forth. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm actually realizing that, that it's a lot like, say something like sake production, where it's a similar process of, of koji spores. The, the biggest question that's rolling around in my mind is, is making a coffee more delicious from that perspective where we should be focusing on as an industry. There's something on Proud Mary's website that I'll pull up really quickly and read. So here's this quote from Proud Mary's website, their roaster based out of both Australia as well as Portland. And this is written by Caden Bocorn. It says this, anaerobic process, CM process, ASD process, dynamic process. Yes, coffee processing is having a moment right now, and we've been working hard for years to support our innovative farmers to produce new exciting coffees. Here's our FYI on some of these processing methods and why they produce such interesting and unique flavors in our brewed cup. Why is this so hot right now? Let's be honest. Fermentation and flavor is hot right now. Kombucha, sourdough, koji, natural wine, and the innovative chefs of the world are bringing it to the front of mind a lot of our favorite things we consume go through fermentation. Coffee is no different. Coffee producers are challenging and breaking the traditional molds of coffee processing in the way of fermentation and exciting us with unique flavors that we've never tasted before. And I'll end with this part of the, the quote. On coffee fermentation, to keep it simple, all coffee, be it washed, honey, natural, anaerobic, et cetera, goes through some stages of fermentation fermentation of coffee occurs when the wild bacteria and or yeast living on the cherries, leaves, and the air begin to consume the natural sugars found in the coffee. So to wrap that kind of quote up and just summarize some of that, I think what is being made popular is the idea that fermentation can add a level of complexity and flavor. Personal hesitation with this in regards to coffee, and I think it just has to do with my appreciation for hyper-clean, high-scoring wash coffees, is that sometimes I think there's too much of an emphasis put on that, and the emphasis is no longer put on the high-scoring washed coffees. I'm not sure whether or not that's limiting of my own perspective of it, but I think there very quickly reaches this extremity of fermentation or of just of too much funk, and we've talked about this, and I think this exists with a lot of what they were talking about with natural wines or even beers, where it kind of goes over a threshold and actually becomes unfavorable what are some of your thoughts about about that specifically dante
1: with this element i think there's room for both in a sense uh i think right now like fermentation is like the the biggest thing going on just because it's like everyone's everyone's kind of doing it Uh, the biggest the reason why everyone's working so much on fermentation is because it's so hot right now because the climate is what it is right now but i feel like moving on then like the spectrum will change as far as like what processing method is like the most popular at the time. So I don't think the old ways will go away per se. It will just be one that's not used the most preference. While it's like what, what coffees I prefer, like like to taste, it really doesn't it really doesn't matter to me because my palate is so, quote unquote, weird. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I cook all the time. So like my palate's always changing. I'm always going for the most dynamic. And for right now, the fermentation stuff is the most dynamic out of like everything. So I'm, I'm, a fan, but I'm a fan. But I do appreciate a good watch copy.
0: So those are some good thoughts. Let's kind of pivot a minute and maybe talk about the maybe pricing aspect of the current specialty industry and where we think it's going. This is something that if you haven't listened to the episode it was done very spontaneously with Noah months back where we titled the episode, where do we see the coffee industry going in the next five years? This is sort of an extension of that conversation, but maybe there's a different perspective and a different light. I am curious in regards to the economy as a whole and how we perceive menu pricing as, as consumers, how we look at pricing things out for the cafe owners and that sort of thing where we think that's going to land in in the future but more so where we're at right now I feel like we've we've kind of gone through this price increase with with specialty coffee I would say in the past year where for a long time you know when we first started to sustain the average bag cost for a retail bag of coffee for a consumer was around $20 I would say it's probably closer to getting that that tw- mid 20 $25 maybe even $30 range, and typically it's a smaller bag as well. And that's something that for those who are in the industry all the time understand why those prices are going up, but for maybe the average consumer who is just trying to buy coffee for home gets maybe a little bit thrown off when they see how that pricing is. And I think the reality of that has to do with things like labor costs, has to do with things like the climate and the the ever rising expenses of just everything that impacts these sort of these sort of things i'm curious what do we think in terms of pricing where it's going to go if it's going to change for the better or the worst and what should our response be to that
1: i think you go uh especially coffee went up from what it is now like then A lot of like the normal person wouldn't necessarily like buy it because they're going to like look at it like if your pour over is like eight dollars, then the regular person's going to be like, I can go to Starbucks and for eight dollars, I can get like my regular latte with like 18 types of syrup in it. And that's what I'm already doing. Then that's kind of like it's kind of hard for me to make that switch. They might understand that this cup of coffee may taste better, but if I'm not like in it i don't i don't really uh see all that that so that's really i think that's a a big thing from like what we did like as far as like boycott and like as far as like moving forward is like educating people on what they're drinking thinking or like even giving people like like just tips over like the processing level or like where it's from like or when we had like the chart that showed all like the elevation and uh the cupping score and just like from uh from what I see like people like when people are like looking at and they are like and they're like interested in, of what that is or like what it means and if you take them down that background then you then you can charge them that price and they'll be like okay they'll be like okay well I understand And even if they don't taste any anything or if it's not the best cup they've ever had, had they can at least understand that basis so that'll have to be like a worldwide change as far as if we want to charge say crazy amounts for like for any type of drink. And another big thing is we had to like give an idea of like who's working on. It. So if we had like if we had like a system that maybe want to like give a percentage of what we got to the farm that or the farmers that like grew the coffee. Then I think I think people will be more responsive to that than just like raising the price because it's good coffee, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. And I think there's you know, when you talk about all these sort of things, I think the most sensitive to a lot of individuals and a lot of consumers is when we start talking about things like price because there is i think still a lot of value to other industries kind of going back to maybe the beginning of this conversation and speaking to the idea of craft beer and wine being priced quite high by maybe commodity um sort of perspectives and the coffee industry is kind of reaching this weird threshold where specialty prices are st- are still higher than most commodity prices, but when we use like an example like Starbucks where someone can spend more or less the same amount and get something different, of course the quality is gonna be is what you're paying for when you're paying for an $8 cup somewhere. I think a lot of the, the issues is that again, like you're saying, Dante, the education aspect is missing. And to just charge a high amount for something without maybe the education base and the knowledge base to understand why that thing costs that much. And this exists for really anything, right? When you're thinking about, you know, quality product. But then there's also an argument that quality products being at a more approachable and within reach and within grasp sort of, level is also very important to maintain as well and this exists with stuff like floor costs in the sort of exporting side of things and the farm side of things um which i think that's a large issue is that those prices are there and they exist for a reason They, they help safeguard as a safety net for those members involved but i still think they're too low in the grand scheme of things and whenever they do, if they were to ever go up, which I think they should, the costs on our end, and especially in the consumer's final end, is gonna go up. One perspective of this is in the general climate of things in terms of economics is that everything is going up, but things like wages are not, you know, the hourly, the the minimum wage is not going up sort of thing. And you're sort of left with this weird issue of, okay, things are maybe growing in quality in some areas, but the affordability for people is not because they're not in the financial positions to purchase these things. And this is a, this is a larger conversation, but I think it's important to note in terms of where we are currently in the special industry and how are we maybe reaching those individuals who either are just uninformed about the, the price things or maybe they are just legitimately in a place where they cannot afford an $8 pour over or a $30 bag of coffee you could argue that this is not the target market that we're trying to reach, but I would think that c- coffee to me as a whole should include all of those people, no matter what the the kind of level that you are at economically.
1: Right. There is a point to be made by that because I would, of course, like thinking of it, I would like move over to like education because that's what we're doing. Like, but then going back to the whole like beer and wine thing, there's not like there's education available for people, but people who already kind of have like a perceived like a uh, mindset towards it being at a certain price because of what it is do you think there's a way to make to like get people to have that same kind of like mindset towards coffee
0: maybe i, I think one reason for like things like beer and wine specifically people being open to the mean more expensive is because alcohol right like i think alcohol in general you know it's it has it has a more immediate benefit to some than something like caffeine that you get from coffee consumption But I would think maybe even like we could change industries yet again and talk about something like tea, which I don't have enough authority I think to speak fully on. But I can say that specialty high-end tea, if you look on like a a tea's website like Spirit Tea or Hugo or Rishi, some of these major tea distributors, their prices are quite are high, and they're for even smaller increments than coffee is even. And people who really are into tea don't mind paying that much for those, I've noticed. So why is the disconnect there exist for coffee when it seems like coffee, for a lot of people, is very fundamental to their day, to their routines, to their rituals, to their general well-being and what they're participating in on a regular basis. So do I think coffee can reach that point? Yes, but I'm... Presently feeling a little stuck and like scratching scratching my head as to what is that? Because I think things like seasonal menus and things like drinks that are taking away from the product itself are maybe perhaps a little a little um, problematic for trying to point to the coffee itself and not to a creation.
1: Okay, so for, like, the seasonal drink thing, there is the argument that could be be placed about, like, seasonal drinks being there to, like, bring awareness to the coffee in itself. Granted, you put, like, syrup that kind of, like, takes away from the drink. And I I would say most cafes probably don't try to, like, match their syrups with whatever coffee they're using. Because I'm sure most cafes stick to maybe, like, a very, like, one set note of coffee but i think just because of like of where of where coffee is right now like it could work it could work that way like in the sense of like a like not a seasonal menu in the sense of like like we're in we're in the fall season right now so all the pumpkin spices around right now but like maybe like a seasonal menu of like a coffee or like what's what's in season around this time that would also but that would also food also has that direct problem too because People don't, because people really, I would say, I'd say they either know or they don't really pay attention to like what foods are in season, or like what foods to get in the in the time frame. So I would say, like instead of like taking like, like I'm sure from what from what your argument is, like seasonal menus in that sense of like a uh, like syrups and like uh, syrups that are just like whatever, just sweet. I would say that seasonal menus should move more towards of like what's in that time frame. I think that'll be I think that'll be a better like uh, note for people to like pay attention to. Even if like uh, your local your local cafe did something something in a seasonal, you pretty much know that shop is doing a seasonal menu with foods that are in season. So I think that'll like that'll be like the twist on it. What do you think?
0: I think that's that's a a great response in terms of finding a balance between. You know, seasonal menus, I think, are effective in terms of bringing people in. But it's then how do I bring this person in for the seasonal thing and then maybe point them in the direction of coffee itself. But why could we not create seasonal menus that reflect what you're saying, the seasonality of the coffees that are in maybe the seasonal drinks? And could we reach a purist standpoint where it was coffees that were, they were the seasonal thing and were just serving, you know, six coffees on a bar that are all manual brewed or however that are all hyper seasonal or hyper, maybe not even hyper seasonal to it being fall here or your know, autumn, wherever we are located geographically, but maybe it being something that's reflected on, on, on the farm side in terms of when is it seasonal? Then when is it most available if it's like a limited sort of thing?
1: Yes. Now, of course there is like, it, there is a detrimental side of that because of like of weather and how things change. There could be like for whatever reason, low end product. Look, and I think that, and I think it's 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 a double edged sword because one, it's a bad thing because you don't have the product to sell to people. But I think I think not having that product, or it's like product going through like seasons where it's like in like high quantities and some where it's in low quantities. It kind of puts more. uh it gives the person something to look for. And it's like, yeah, I think that, like, unintentionally sets, like, an understanding of, like, how this set coffee or food or whatever was processed or is processed.
0: I agree. I think seasonality is something that is very highly discussed in high-end restaurants. And not even high-end restaurants, but I think even, you know, local places, like, the great example I think I can think of in terms of our city is somewhere like Lulu's, who is very much so always changing their menus and their like they have their, their core items but a lot of things are constantly changing because they're paying attention and purchasing what is in season, what's at the market right now. That in and of itself helps the person who is maybe coming up with those menus feel a lot more connected to the agriculture locally in a way that I think could actually translate to to something like coffee in a way that I think could be refreshing. So if you if you're listening and you know of any places who are doing things like this and want us to highlight them or to discuss them or even just to put in our in our field of view, by all means, please do, because I think that also is part of the conversation is we're thinking just hyper locally. But I think if we're looking at things more on a global perspective, you know, someone somewhere is doing these things with excellence, and that's what I'm curious about. But but really, I think the importance of today's conversation has been just looking sort of broadly at the the, in, the specialty industry where it stands and how it could be broadened and made more approachable as it I feel like always can be and should be pushing towards that way but there's been a lot of things to discussed today and I think this could probably conclude our thoughts um Dante do you have any final words for the people uh, I do have
1: one more final thought.
0: Thank you so much for listening this far. To hear the last 10 minutes of Dante and Joseph's conversation, head on over to patreon.com forward slash 901 coffee. You can find access to this link directly by visiting the show notes. But I think we have talked quite a bit today, so thanks Dante for for taking the time and thank you for listening if you enjoyed this week's episode well we encourage you to go to our patreon that's a great way to support us ongoingly we have lots of exclusive content there you'll get podcast episodes like this one early and it's a great way to support us and if you haven't already follow us on instagram at 901 sustain coffee feel free to reach out to us by email at 901 sustain coffee at gmail.com or Go to the website. You'll find plenty of resources there as well at 901 SustainCoffee.com. All these things are in the show notes. We thank you so much. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Cart. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to keep the show and the Sustained team going, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This is an excellent way to keep the show free of ads, keep us motivated, and not to forget, it gives you some great perks. Support tiers start as low as 525. Head on over to patreon.com slash 901 Coffee to get started. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at 901sustainedcoffee. And check us out on YouTube by searching Sustained Coffee. All of these things can be found by just clicking the links provided in the show notes. Thank you for all your support. Until next time.